0: The rant has been brought to you by Roar Organic. Everything your body needs, nothing it doesn't. There's a reason they say variety is the spice of life. And with their new organic line comes the following exciting flavors. Georgia peach, blueberry acai, cucumber watermelon, mango clementine, pineapple mint, strawberry coconut. Ah! Roar Organic uses a proprietary electrolyte blend created with organic coconut water, organic cane sugar, and sea salt. It's non-GMO, vegan-friendly... Gluten-free, no artificial colors or flavors, no preservatives, and no artificial sweeteners. Just 2 grams of sugar and only 10 calories per serving. Visit Roar.Land and use the code REFEREERANT, one word, in the checkout and receive 10% off your next purchase. That's Roar.Land, code REFEREERANT. Episode 26, The Rant. Jason Gant, officiating bowl games in the NCAA, Division two College Women's Basketball, being a nurse, a director, and growing the sport he loves, flag football. Jason Gant is a renaissance man when it comes to officiating. We share a bond as Raven fans, and surely he rests like a Raven. How many people do you know Ref Division I football and Division II women's basketball all while time to run a successful intramural program at a local college? Jason can. My conversation with Jason, now. Welcome to another edition of The Rant. I'm your host, Ralph the Ref. I'm with a special... Co-host, Michael Grant, what's up? What's going on? My man, and we have a special, special guest, Jason Kant. What's up, man? I don't know about special, special, but <laughs> I appreciate the love. Well, listen, anyone that does two college sports and officiates it in a high level is special, special to me. Fair and enough. Having said that, he's a Division I NCAA college football official. That is true. And a Division Two women's basketball official. That is also true. Awesome. How did you uh, even get into your passion of sports?
1: Oh, so sports. I mean, I was just growing up. Like like most of us, you know, we're watching sports. We're playing it. We love it. We got our teams. I'm from Baltimore, so I was an Orioles guy. Uh, when the Ravens came around, I'm a Ravens guy. You know, that type of stuff. But uh, as far as, like, the officiating stuff, it started in Maryland. That's where I did undergrad at. And I was supposed to get a job first freshman year. I forgot about it. So then sophomore year, I'm like, all right. I'm gonna get a job. I want to ref because I like sports, and they're saying I can get paid to watch it and all that stuff. And from training, uh, we were taught about how, like, how the quality of the officials at Maryland at that time had been really good. So I used it as a challenge, and then from there, I just fell in love with it. Flag football was was my baby from day one, and uh, really enjoyed it. Got to work, you know the the fraternity championship that first year and it really gave me the confidence that I needed to move forward uh then in the spring with basketball and then from there boom I'm now one of the refs and the one thing that I knew leaving Maryland was I wanted to become an NFL ref like I didn't know what I wanted to be when I grew up but I did know that was one aspect of what I wanted to do so, so he's kind of yeah well you got that from an early age and
0: I guess we're just going to go a little off topic. I just wanted to tell you two things of myself. I started reffing, the first thing was my baby, is flag football. That's why it's kind of near and dear to my heart. And also, um, I had the unfortunate circumstance of being a Buffalo Bills fan when I was in fifth, sixth, seventh, (laughs) and eighth grade. So I decided to myself that um, I'm going to decide to pick a team that has no history so um, luckily, the Browns moved to Baltimore, and I chose them as my favorite team in the whole wide world. In fact, um, the second championship, the first one was sweet because we're in New York, and uh-huh. everyone wanted the right. Giants right. to win. It was sweet for you. for you, not for everyone else. Yeah, for me. <laughs> but the second championship was two days after my son was born. So to me, it was like uh, manifest
1: destiny that I was a Baltimore Ravens fan. So first off, um, you should have told me my man here was a Baltimore All Ravens day. You you mean, right, All day. <laughs> <no>? All day. All <laughs> day. Oh yeah, okay. Now we family. Okay, okay. okay man. But yeah, that uh, that second one, I was I was fortunate enough to be there. Ooh. So well, w- w- was
0: it fortunate because I remember my friends when, when Kaepernick did the did the yeah. with, with the with the clenching of the, the biceps somebody, one of my friends was like, is your butt clenched right now? No. And I was like, yeah, it's a little bit because, I mean, after the right. second the
1: Jacoby Jones, after oh, the halftime, yeah. you're like yeah. it's just it's awful. Well, th- this was weird so, I'm watching uh, I'm watching us play the Patriots, mm-hmm. and second half, we're just beating them down it was, yeah. it was great, you know and I, you know, I had one or two or twelve <laughs> that night, and I called my dad, and I'm like, hey we're going, and he's like ah yeah yeah whatever whatever I'm like nah we're going so I called them the next day I'm like I was serious we're going <laughs> so what wound up happening was that New
2: Orleans yeah right
1: New Orleans day. yeah so my dad and my brother I was living in Omaha Nebraska at the time my dad and my brother they flew into Memphis I drove down picked them up from Memphis we then drove down there we stayed in a hotel in Alabama like an hour away <laughs> got tickets the morning of the game I spent the whole morning scouring all the resale websites and all of that. And finally, I looked at my dad and I'm like, look, I got three seats. You give me the go-ahead and I'm going to put sin. We're going to do this. And he's finally like, all right, all right, let's go. Again. Because, cause, come on, well, what I are you going to do, not go to the game? <laughs> no, I'm, I'm just saying like...
0: Yeah. We live in New York now, right? So yeah. if you listen to sports radio, which I'm completely devoid of, they talk about the Jets as if they're good. Right. That year, in both when the Ravens won the Super Bowl, mm-hmm. I remember listening to Colin Cowherd week 17, and remember they got smacked by the by the Broncos. That's right. Remember they had that goal line That's right. six to six, and you're like, they're not going to they're not going to win. Right. They had a good team, but they had like three straight losses. I think they won the last game, but anyway, um, you're just thinking. Colin Coward is saying that they're they're ranked 14th. They're not going to win
1: the championship, but yo, they won the championship. Hey, and you know what? Yeah, Beyonce, she shut the lights off. Mm-hmm. I know it was worth it. It was it was absolutely worth it. And and for that game to end in that way with the goal line yeah. stand and even the crazy safety at the very end, mm-hmm. because we won, I'm okay with everything. That that way. Me too. But otherwise, ooh, that would have been tough. Oh, yeah. For sure.
2: You would have from Beyonce, that's it? Well, no. <laughs> Just so easy. No. I would have,
1: I would have been frustrated with uh, the Superdome more than anything.
2: <laughs> so, um, thanks for telling us a little bit about your intro to black football. How did black football take you to overseas and onto army bases?
1: Sure. So, uh, so NURSA is the National Intramural Rec Sport Association. That is something that most intramural professionals are a part of. Well, they've been doing this for over 20 years now. And the interesting thing about the BASES, it's part of the MWR program, which is the Morale, Welfare, and Recreation program. These BASES, they're kind of a mix between a college campus and a small town. Well, what do college campuses have? They have schools, they have rec centers, they have apartments, they have all that stuff. What else do they have? They have intramural sports. All of the soldiers, they're playing mm-hmm. All, you know, so, And when you think about who the soldiers are, they're 18 to 24-year-olds for the most part. So if you kind of just think of it from a big picture standpoint, it's really no different than colleges. As a result, our nurse of flag football rulebook has been the primary rule book used on military bases overseas for the last 20, 30 years. Uh, so every year, the military uh, invites one or two typical professionals from NURSA overseas to be able to teach the officiating clinics over there. So I've been, able, uh, I've been fortunate enough to be invited overseas to help organize those clinics where we are teaching former and current soldiers how to officiate and then they are either reteaching their, their own people on their own bases or they're teaching, you know, the refs and actually refereeing the games. But uh, it's huge overseas. They've got international European championships for the military, not just flag football, basketball, boxing's big, baseball, softball. It, it's a whole world of recreation in the military that really a lot of us in the collegiate world, we, we don't even know exists.
2: That's, that's incredible, I didn't, I didn't know any of that. Um, what's some of the differences? I know you said a lot of similarities between the age group, similar to a college campus. What's some of the differences between college campuses um, and that Army base?
1: Priorities. And, and this is one of the things, I love going over there because I learned so much from them, where they are very procedure and process based. So, for example, rule one in most every rule book talks about equipment, talks about the players, talks about the field, all of those regulations. College campuses, we don't read rule one. We don't care. We just, hey, we get these kids That's organized. Beautiful. We just got to get the kids there. Mm-hmm. You go watch a military, you know, you, you watch two teams from the military play. They have what's called a lineup. So before every game. All of the players on each team will literally get in a line and they will present themselves to the official who will check their equipment from top to bottom, including the bottom of their cleats. And they go through that every single game. And it's things like the coin toss. It is very organized. It is it's like a high school football game would be a coin toss. We went over there. We saw them do their coin toss. We liked it so much, we actually put it into the rule book and then started implementing it at our national championships. And that was solely based on uh, our work overseas with the military. So for, for a lot of the college stuff, I would say it's more participation-based. we got to get the people there. Those guys know when to be there. So they are more, we are here. Let's make sure everybody's on the same page. And you really... I, I mean, never say never, but you never have to worry about a military participant having pockets on his shorts when they're playing flag football.
2: That makes sense. Now, how do you take that and help you bring it back to the states and help build a intramural infrastructure, a flag football infrastructure on campus?
1: I think that uh, what that kind of shows you is just just the organizational aspects of it, where sometimes. We get a little lazy on the college campus, and sometimes it's like, oh, well, yeah, it's okay if they play with pockets, or yeah, you know, we're not really checking for this, and we're not really checking for that, and it's all good until the kid breaks his finger. You know, it's all good until you realize, oh, wait, that kid is bleeding from his thigh because he got stepped on, because this kid is wearing baseball cleats, mm. and in And that kid wasn't doing anything to hurt anyone. He he didn't even know anything. He... I need cleats. I got my cleats. But those are the types of areas where, from a risk management standpoint, I think the military is way ahead of us here in the States. Not only on college campuses, but I would say, especially at, like, the rec league level, where there are liberties being taken, and it's all good until it ain't good.
0: Mm. Well, I just think that... uh The recent surge in success of flag football has become from a confluence of specific events, one being, I think, the CTE. They had that big New York Times article in 2017 in the summer of how um, repeated collisions to the head really force degenerative brain cells, and it basically makes kids, you know, takes all the parents right now and confirms what their fears were of not playing football. And then I think in terms of a college, when you think of... The subtraction, the addition by subtraction of how much of a logistical nightmare if you had a football team and you had to get helmets and pads and now you're just really breaking it down to just flags and obviously it's more safer, right? And I just think now kids are getting to the point where the older kids are starting to see like it's a legitimate sport based on all of those experiences. So having said that, where do you see flag football going five years from now, 10 years from now, and even 20
1: years down the line? So I've thought about this a lot because I love flag football. Me too. It's so much fun. You know, at at its core, it's this wild and wacky game where it's like basketball and football. It's like yeah. the best elements of both. Everybody can throw, everybody can catch and so I, I think that big picture, flag football is gonna to continue to grow. And and actually one of my concerns is the fact that the place where it's not growing is college campuses. It's actually going the opposite way. Mm. And for whatever the reason, our college students are not playing it as much. And it, it's something that is of concern to me. I think that's going to be changing because, as you said, the youth and especially the high school level, these kids are growing up nowadays playing flag football. and When they get to college, they're going to want to keep playing it. I think that from the nurse's standpoint, we have to be prepared and do a better job as administrators to make sure that we can handle, you know, those types of demands. Um, Long term, though, five, ten years, nothing's stopping this football, flag football training, because it's America, and America loves football. Thanks. And although, yeah, we love the big hit, we love the traditional tackle football world, the truth is, tackle football is a sport that already was banned before. Mm. I mean back I want to say it was it was either Teddy or FDR, one of the Roosevelts, banned the sport of football and then it came back and now it's just going to continue to evolve. But I think that the elements of something that is uniquely American and uniquely ours, I think that is where football will always you know be at the forefront of what we do as a country. Because even baseball, which is America's pastime, well is it America's pastime or is it the Dominicans' pastime, the Puerto Ricans' pastime, the Japanese, the Koreans? Baseball, is a, it's an international game. And even with basketball. Well, basketball starts here, and now it is the second mode <laughs> besides soccer. It's the most international sport in the world after soccer. So I, I think that with football, it is so uniquely American mm-hmm. that we are going to want to keep doing it. And now we want to do it safer, and I just see flag football continuing to grow. Where I'm kind of curious your guys' thoughts. You know, listening to the podcast before, I hear about five, five, sixes, sevens, contact, non-contact, screen. Do you foresee us maybe getting to a standard method of how we play the game?
0: So I think the AFFL has done a good job of really putting it on the map. I don't know if you saw it this summer, but oh, yeah. there was a big showcase on it. And one of the local teams on Long Island participated. It's one of those teams that I've been officiating for, you know, well over five years. And you know how it goes when you have equity with players. They go from being, you know, single, and they find a girlfriend, yeah. and they get engaged, and yeah. they get married, and then they have a two-year-old. Yeah, kids. and kids. The whole time, <laughs> yeah. you start realizing, you know, you grow with them. And you never realize that aspect of officiating until you do it a couple of years, and then you you gain relationships, and then you get mutual respect from players. Um, But I think from just having experience officiating 5-on-5, 8-on-8, and 9-on-9, and now watching it as a viewer on on 7-on-7, I think 7-on-7 is the best simulation, even with the four-second rush, of real football, meaning simulating the pressure that a quarterback gets and the amount of receivers that's eligible to go down the field. Um, and it just basically, it, it subtracts all of the negative attributes of that. So if they can, I guess, hammer down and drill down those particular rules, yeah. I think that'll be the closest thing, seven
1: on seven. That, that makes sense to me. And, and I, the AFL, it was interesting watching them because the, uh, the championship team, that's the team that comes to the nurse of flag championships mm-hmm. every single year. So I know those guys. And so people, you weren't surprised, right? Oh, not at all. Right. But,
0: Oh, okay. oh, Hoosh was crazy. He's the best player in the world, right? Un- I mean, I just know, for me, the Bulldogs, they're the best team I've ever officiated yeah, I mean. when it comes... And they're number one in, in nine-man. So right. I-, I already know the the lineage that they come from. So when I saw Hoosh just taking it to oh. them every time, <laughs> I'm like, who is this guy? And guy, yes. I think what's crazy about it is that... And-, and, you know, Brian talked about this on his podcast. It's like, whether you're a Division I uh, college football player, you know, maybe you're an ex-NFL player, like Jacoby Jones, I don't know, is right. on the circuit. Right. I think Danny Warfel is on the circuit. Yeah. I think for, for one thing, you, you think about Brett Favre, I mean, forget yeah. about the Copperfit commercials, he could really still compete in this thing, right? Brett Favre would be a monster. <laughs> <He could> <laughs> <understand>. <laughs> and, and to yes, me, it's, like, it's yes. like, and this is what I mean, the confluences of surreptitious things that are happening, the big three, right? The three-on-three basketball tournament, yeah. where they legitimize it, it's yeah. more like Wow, well, I see there's an other professional league. All they did was make it half court. And now it neutralizes and makes my skill set back to being valuable as opposed to running full court. Because when you're 40, it's yes. just it's that's not happening. Unless right. you're Derek Fisher and you're holding on. But, you know, I think if if you watch Ice Cube's three-on-three basketball league, you go, you know what? If I was a professional athlete, this doesn't have to be um, the end of it. This can be a continuation. This can be an extension. This can even be a different sport. And... I don't know. I'm just very excited about flag football.
1: I, I wholeheartedly agree because just even the concept of what they said, you know, we had the pros team of former players, and we're going to go against the flag-specific team. Mm-hmm. And, I'm, and I'm just thinking, this is about to be a blowout because these flag dudes, yeah, they right. are about to run right over those yeah. pros. <laughs> with, the, with the strategy and the gameplay and all of their experience, that is their wheelhouse and it, it's, it's wild to think that a group of professional football players stood no shot. And they never <laughs> did have a been. shot. Never had a shot. And, and that's yeah. the hubris of a
0: professional athlete because they're like, I'm a professional athlete. Right. Like, it's, it, it doesn't matter what sport it is, but no, well, this that's, is a different game. I
2: think that's what helps the game of black football and show that it's a totally different game, oh, right?
0: Because yeah. you, the, most audiences
2: who've never watched black football before turn it on like, oh, I know there's pro players, they're about to run through these guys. And it's like, I don't think you know what it takes <laughs> to be a flag football player. So I think as the country kind of realized that this is a different sport with different skill sets and different, um, your athletic ability, there's different type of athleticism that's required in flag football, I think more interest in growing it. It's not like, oh, anyone can just come through and be big and fast and, and dominate flag football. That's
1: how it happens, right? There's neutralizers. Now, what I find interesting about that is because, you're right, it is is a different sport Mm -hmm. as far as the strategy and all of that, but that just got me thinking about the messages I've been teaching the refs at the flag level, and I've actually been trying to go the opposite way. Like, you are not a flag football ref. You are a football ref Mm -hmm. working the flag version, And, and the reason being, I think about stuff like the catch, you know, and... So I'll say, you know, I'll put up a clip and say, hey, is this a catch or not? And they'll say, well, in, in flag football, it's a catch. And in tackle football, it's not a catch. And I'm like, oh, that's not true. Mm. Catch in flag football is a catch and tackle. In fact, the only difference, like let's take, because I know the catch rule is always the controversial one. <laughs> and it's the one rule that really affects every level of football, no matter what you do. There's really only one difference between a catch in the pros and a catch anywhere else, and it's the number of feet. That's about it. Yep. Everything else is pretty much the same. It just looks different because Des Bryant is different than Jason Gant playing mm. flag football. <laughs> you know, Calvin Johnson is different. So I, I think it's interesting where there, inevitably I think there will be a balance of – there will come a point where the pros, the former football NFL players – they are gonna start taking it seriously and they are gonna to start to figure out the strategic values. Mm-hmm. And I actually think that the gap will eventually close, but because of the way the game is set up in such a non-contact for the most part way, you're always gonna have guys like Hoosh, the little, you know, the little five foot eight, you know, skinny guy who's faster than you, quicker than you, can outjuke you, do all of that stuff. The thing I'm most excited for is there's always going to be kind of room for everybody.
2: That's true. I want to kind of go back to the point that on college campuses, the level of participation of flag football is bit down across the board. Now, do you think that's unique to flag football, or do you think it's across different sport levels, it's just kind of trending downward on college campuses, just because there's more access, there's social media, there's different ways to engage now.
1: I think it's broad-based, and I wouldn't say it's flag football. I would say it's more traditional team sports. And I think there's a lot of things that go into it. Uh, the first thing that comes to mind is just access to the world. You know, like when, you, when we were growing up, what did we do? We played outside. We, we, we had a ball. We, had, we found a ball, and we used whatever that ball was to play whatever sport we wanted. Whether we wanted to play football with a tennis ball or you know basketball with a volleyball, it didn't matter. You could make it work. Well, today, these kids can entertain themselves in a variety of different ways, so I think that's one element of it. Uh, I think burnout is a big problem. I think that nowadays you have a lot of parents out there that are putting, their, putting a lot of pressure on their kids. And putting them in these situations where they're now specialized, they're one sport athletes, you know, they're, they're playing basketball year round, no matter what. And there are some kids that love it. And that's why they do it. But I think there's a lot more that are doing it because they're being told to do it. So now when they show up to campus, it's like, all right, I want a ball but I just want to play pickup. Mm. I, I don't want to play in this organized thing with the team and the refs, and I've been doing that for the last 18 years. I don't want to do it anymore. So I think that's, those are kind of two elements, and then I think the third element is just how interest evolves. So one thing that has really grown big on college campuses is Quidditch. Quidditch is a fantasy game, in a fantasy book series called Harry Potter. It's not a real thing except now as things evolve and now that Harry Potter has been an integral part of the college students' life growing up, they wanna they don't wanna play football necessarily. Maybe they wanna play Quidditch. Maybe they don't want to play volleyball. Maybe they want to play spikeball You know they so I, I think that from a traditional sports standpoint it's Yeah, go to different campuses. Maybe football is down, but maybe soccer is up. Maybe basketball is down, but maybe volleyball is up. But I think across the board, there's just a lot of different factors of why the idea of let's us seven bros come together and play flag football on a college campus. Maybe we do that or maybe we go do esports.
0: Yeah. I did want to ask you something just from what I've thought from just having a... Conversation with you, um, I know you said in your formative years, you said you aspired to be an NFL referee. Now, let's say that uh, 10 years down the line, the the flag football really takes a stranglehold and now becomes like the number five top professional sport. Do you think you would redirect that and, and maybe think of it as, I want to be the top professional flag
1: football official as opposed to the NFL referee? It's hard to say. Um, I'm, I'm not the type that I, I try not to be tunnel vision. And Whatever I, opportunities yeah, are Yeah, and, and I like to evolve yeah. and be able to kind of go with the flow in that type of situation. I have thought about it because depending on where things go with the NFL, not just the NFL, but with tackle football and the culture behind it and the safety and all of that, I've openly wondered to myself, in 20 years, are there still going to be 32 teams in the NFL? Or is it going to be 28? Is it going to be 24? I don't know. We don't know that. So I just think that uh, for now, that is the goal. But I do think my ultimate goal is to be to recognize at the top of whatever it is that I'm trying to do. So I could I could see myself, you know, if for some reason the NFL didn't work out, because it's never guaranteed. I mean, I'm going to still have to do a lot of work and catch a lot of breaks to be able to get there. If that doesn't work out, uh, I don't think that I will be unfulfilled. I think I'll still be able to kind of find my speed and, and do some other things that can bring me joy.
2: That's, that's, it's great to have that perspective. You, know, like you want to be able to be open to happiness and whatever avenue you can get it. Uh, with that being said, do you feel like what do you feel helps you when you're on a tackle field and it translates over to the flat football field?
1: Uh, I think, so, you know, so, we hear a lot about it, right? You know, like... You seem like you have it. I've never (laughs) seen you officiate, but it seems like you have that. I, I hope, I think I have it. And, And, and when you hear about it, it's like, do you have the poise? Do you have the demeanor? Do you have the confidence almost more than anything to be able to block things out when you need to, to be able to lock in on something when you need to, to be able to just understand like how the game is supposed to work. And, and that's where a lot of times instinct comes in where if, if I don't know what to do and we all know the rules and we're supposed to know them, but every once in a while something happens we don't know, I try to fall back on two things, safety and fairness. Mm. You know, the first thing is, is it, is this unsafe? I don't know if it's a foul. It doesn't look safe. It's a foul. And the second, if it's not a safety related thing, I don't know if you're supposed to be doing that, but you can't be doing that, you know, (laughs) or, or whatever the case is. So I, I think that the thing that can translate between not just those games, but all games in general, if you have an understanding of how the game is intended to be played, which I think that a lot of players have the advantage. You know, I, I tell people the best refs in the world are usually coaches because they understand the games the best. And and if you if you took a player, a former player, and you put them on a path of coaching or a path of reffing, I think that if we redirected them on the path of reffing, They would be leaps and bounds. Oh, they would be leaps and bounds because even when we're talking to them, you know, and I might go to a a training camp or something for a college team and they're asking questions and they're saying, okay, yeah, so when we got the mic here, the Sam there, the Wham there, the X there, the Z there, blah, blah, blah. And now as someone who did not play at a high level, I have to interpret all of those things and you have to do it in a way that doesn't make them think that you don't know nothing about it. <laughs> you got to do it like, the metrics way. It's <laughs> like, okay, so the Mike is the M, which is the middle yeah. linebacker, yeah. and the Sam yeah. is the S, which is the strong, and the will is the weak, and you, know, you can kind of go that route. But I think that what, what separates sometimes the best from the best is we all need to know the rules. We all need to know the mechanics. But if you can understand how the game is supposed to work, and, and that's a weird way of kind of saying it, but like, how should this work? I even tell people, they say, oh, how'd the game go? And I'm like, to me, the game has gone well if the right team won the game. Yeah. And to me, the right team is some sort of combination of talent meets effort meets execution. And when those three things are kind of, you know, if, if you've got a super talented team, and the gap is huge, well, maybe the super talented team doesn't need to execute as well and doesn't need to have as much effort in order to win, but when you're a part of it, you just kind of, I mean, y'all know, you're out there, you just get that feeling like, okay, in this scenario, I need to do this, and I don't know exactly why I need to do it, but I know I need to do it, because when you have doubt, the it factor is immediately overcoming that doubt not only in the moment, but then moving on to the next play.
2: Now, I want to stay there and kind of talk about your journey. Um, what did it take for you to get it? <laughs> you know, like, I know it's kind of vague, but to get to that level where you have that comfort and you kind of get that gut feeling, how'd you get
1: there? So I'll tell you uh, the, the thing that, in my mind, got me to D1. And I was at a camp. Uh, it was a high-level college camp. And I was working back judge, and my two uh, my deep wings, field and the side judge, they were actually guys that I knew. Uh, they were all from Nebraska, and it's a punt play. And I'm doing my count, and I've got 12. And I'm doing the signal like I have 12. I look to my left, I look to my right. I'm both giving the thumbs up, like uh, we have 11. That's what the thumbs up. Means and I'm trying to communicate like, we don't have 11, but they both say they do, but I've counted 12, and now it's crunch time, because this ball is about to be smacked, and now I have to figure out, am I gonna let it go, or am I gonna go out on a limb and do it? I blew my whistle, I threw the flag, and even after I threw the flag, I did one more count, I had 11 on the line, and the punt returner was number 12, I signal a legal substitution, and uh, the head of one of the major associations was in the booth watching. A week later, I get invited to work one of the major college spring games, and a week after that, I'm now a Division One football official. And, and, and to me, the it, to kind of answer your question was, I know the rules. You can't have 12 on the field.
0: Yeah.
1: I knew the mechanics of what I'm supposed to be counting, when I'm supposed to be counting, and even who I'm supposed to be verifying this with. And then I knew that instinct told me I didn't miscount. And it wasn't me, it was my partners who weren't doing their job. Mm -hmm. And we get into those situations sometimes where our partners are not doing their job. And I just had to find the courage within myself to know that I was right, to know how to handle it, and just to go with it, and I went with it. I immediately signaled to the referee. He knew exactly what I had. He signaled it out, and both he and I are now in Division One. But you weren't trying to be right. You were just trying to make it right. Right. It, it was just one of those, like, I was trying to do my job. You're just trying to make it right, Right. not be right. Yeah, like it wasn't, I'm not looking to show anybody up or anything like that. It was just, it is my job to count the number of players on the receiving team. They had too many. And I had to have the courage to know that despite the fact that all three of us should have the same information, I'm the only one with the information and I have to deliver the information. So it, that, to me, is kind of people ask about, you know, what separates. It is, it's that split-second moment. I could have let it go. Yeah. I, could have, I could have gone from my hand on my flag and just been like, no. And then afterwards, they say, hey, you know, it was 12. And then I would have been like, yeah, I thought I knew it was 12. But then I looked at those guys, and those guys didn't have it. So I wasn't sure. And now, and now all of a sudden, it's like, but well, wait a minute. You said you had 12, right? Well, yeah. So why didn't you do your job? Well, some people don't have courage in the moment to do it, but... <laughs> right. As and, it and, right? And, and, and you know what? And you said how do you teach it. I can't teach that. I, I can't teach that courage in the moment. What I can say is the best way I have developed courage and confidence is by being supremely knowledgeable about the rules and the mechanics. Because mm. if you know those two things and you know them, not you think them, But you know the rules and you know the mechanics. The rest, you will have the courage and the confidence to be able to perform under pressure.
0: And that's when you talk about the it feel. If I were to define what you're saying, it's an informed feel. And you get that informed feel from reading the rules. Absolutely. And knowing the mechanics. So that way, when the moment comes, even though you haven't seen it, you've played it in your mind, you've read about it, and it already
1: informs that when you see something like that, you yeah. can execute that. Absolutely. And even – I like how you use the word informed because when you're in the scenario, and I talked – I think I talked earlier about kind of knowing how the game works. Mm-hmm. Well, when I looked at that punt formation and they had everybody on the line, they didn't have any wideouts or You've seen like it a hundred times. I've so seen you, it. Even if, even if you're not counting, you're like, nah. Yeah, hey, I'm, nah. I'm just looking and I'm like – why do they have so many players out? There? <laughs> you know, that was, that was the initial thought of, like, something's wrong. There. Something's wrong. They got two. They got 11. You can't have 11 on the line when there's a guy right there. You know, so even just, even as I'm counting, you get that kind of funny feeling of, like, this something's don't wrong. look right. Yeah. I've been in enough situations to know that this, this ain't it. There goes your informed feel. Right. Now, before um, I will talk about, I will stay there and
2: talk about being on the crew, yeah. right? That's to some people, a crusade, right? <laughs> I think so. Um, but how do you take that with a bigger crew? We have a lot more guys, and translate that onto a college basketball court. We have three, three people now, and you have less eyes, and more chances for error.
1: Um, this is not a cop out. I truly believe it, but it can't change. And, and in that moment, when I was a NAIA ref trying to get to D1 and I had to do it there. And when I'm in my D1 crew, I have to do it there. Whether it's the FCS, FBS, you know, the power five, you have to do it at the NFL. You have to do it at every level. And it's at every sport as well. It it's the, the mechanics have been set up in a way to make us successful you know, 95, 98, whatever percentage you want to say, percentage of plays are relatively easy to handle if we are sound mechanically. Because the whole point is to put us in a position that we can actually see what just happened. So I think that it doesn't really matter what level you're at or how many officials you have. If you work the mechanics to the best of your ability, then that is what can give you that kind of confidence to do it. You're right. Basketball's hard. I mean, to have three on a court where they're 15, or not 15, to have 10 players on a court moving all around in a short space with one ball and all these crazy things are happening. But I even I had a play that, uh, that happened a couple of weeks ago where I picked up a secondary defender late and I called a block. Then I pointed to the RA and saying that's why I had a block. It then gets changed. We then change it to a charge. And I kind of had a bad feeling about that because I'm like, this wasn't a charge. Well, what wound up happening was I broke down mechanically because I used the point to the RA mechanic improperly, Mm. which then set off a series of events which led us to changing this thing from a block to a charge, and it all started with the fact that I was not sound mechanically. So I think that no matter where you're at, whether, yeah, it gets harder. You know, a two-person basketball crew is hard. You know, a one-person baseball crew is hard. Facts. A, a four- or five-person football crew is hard. I mean, I'm fortunate. We got 10 on the crew. Mm. We got eight on the field and two on the replay. mm and we still screw up (laughs) because we still sometimes aren't knowing all the rules and aren't sound mechanically and I tell when I teach students I tell them uh, you know we've all heard the idea of judgment you either have it or you don't you either have good judgment or you have it that's that's BS that's not true at all and I kind of use a percentage of to me 45% of judgment is rules knowledge. 45% of judgment is mechanics and positioning. And then 10% is processing. Well, to me, if you know the rule and you know the mechanic and you're in the right place to see it, you are going to get at minimum 90%. Well, let's say you can't process anything for, you. you just can't process. And you're just guessing on that last 10%. Well, you're going to get 50% right. I now just told you how you're going to get 95% of your calls right. Because if you know the rule and you know the mechanic, you're going to be 95% accurate. That last 5%, that might get you from high school to college to D1 to the NFL to the Super Bowl. Okay, that's hard. But just the bare simple, know the rule, know the mechanic, you're going to get it right.
0: Hmm.
1: That's so good. That's so good. (laughs) Um,
0: So after everything that you've said so far, um, what do you think it's going to take to get to where you want to go and where do you want to go in your evolved state right now?
1: Uh, It's going to continue to take me continuing to learn the rules, learning the mechanics, Um, having the courage to fail. We will all fail at some point or another. There will all be that big moment and no matter what, I mean, I think about, you know, the the Saints game. You know, that the Saints-Rams NFC Championship. And, yeah, you know, everyone's yelling and screaming because they see it in slow-mo and they got all the different angles. Well, I actually found a, a clip that showed it in real time from the angle kind of behind where one of the officials was. And when I watched that clip, I'm like, oh, my gosh, that is as hard of a play as I've ever seen. It wasn't, it wasn't seen. as... Uh, turnkey as everyone makes it uh, out to be. Oh, look, TV can do anything. You slow, it, you slow it down and you, you have the ability to replay it over and over. Yeah, yeah. you can, you can sure. Was it a no call? Yeah. Was it incorrect? Sure. Like, I'm not arguing that. Right. It's just the idea of when you see it in the moment and the officials who are working the conference championship games and the Super Bowl, they are at the very top tier of the NFL officials, which by default makes them like the top one quarter of 1% of all football officials in the world, get it wrong. What's going to help me get to that point is when I have that type of moment, which I've had some moments, we all have some moments that we struggle. Can I bounce back? Can I get through it? Can I get over it? And can I learn and improve on how to maybe not make that same mistake again? Mm. You know, but but in the end, sometimes it just comes down to you reach for your flag and in that split second, eh, I don't think I'm going to do that. And then you see the replay and you're like, damn, I should have done that.
0: And that's another extension of courage. And you're talking about failing bombastically. What is one of the stickiest situations you've ever been in
1: as an official, whether it be football, flag football, or basketball? Uh, so I'll I'll give you I'll give you kinda let's see. We'll start with the flag football. Now let's hear it. So I was I was fortunate. And I was working the uh, I worked the men's national championship game for the college flag football stuff. And it was my senior year, and I had a great season. I was the best ref on campus. I was the best ref at the regional. And the national tournament, I am just cruising. And I get the assignment. I'm going to have the championship game. And they hand me some white pants to put on. So now we're wearing the knickers and we're wearing all that stuff. And and simply put, I freaked out. (laughs) There's no other way of putting it. And that championship game, I had my worst game of the year by far. I was I was doing things I'd never done. I mean I I blew an introvert
2: whistle.
1: Ooh, blew an on a plate that was With like the on judge, the hmm? Were the crew chief? No, I was the field judge. Thank God I wasn't the crew chief. <laughs> I, I wouldn't I wouldn't have been able to handle that not at that moment. <laughs> but but I was a field judge. I blew an inadvertent whistle on the other side of the field and, and it was just a disaster. And I got through it. You know, and, and in the end It was relatively a disaster for my own expectations for my own performance level it was it was one of the worst games i worked of the year it didn't affect the game at all the crew was great you know we all got through it but it just let me know of you know it kind of helped me prepare for more to come of when you get that next big moment what can you do take some deep breaths you know get into a cool calm space which then led to when I, was, uh, I did the, the spring game of one of the big schools that I talked about. Well, I'm like, oh, there are 90,000 people here. Okay, uh, how are we gonna do this? And I worked the game, and I'm like, I don't know if I did that, but instinct might have taken over. There was a play, the quarterback in the spring game comes out, and he kinda starts to go down, and he kinda bounces into the end zone. And I have no idea if he scored a touchdown or not. But what I wound up doing, I blew my whistle, I put my hand up, and I started yelling, he's short, he's short, he's short, just like I did all them times on the flag football field. I'm in a stadium with 90,000 people, and because of my instinct related to flag football, it allowed me to not only judge the play properly, but actually use the appropriate mechanic, and it was just ingrained in me. I sped home, I turned on the TV, I saw that play, and I'm like, maybe I didn't do such a bad job. <laughs> so it, it I, I would say those those types of moments from the nerves. Um the stickiest situation at the at the D one level was probably where uh there was a roughing the passer that I thought was a foul, I knew I should have called it, I flinched on it, I didn't call it. And uh, our boss was not very pleased because the quarterback wound up having a concussion on the play. That's crazy, man. That's crazy. No, and you know what? I thought I was going to be working postseason, and I didn't. And if that play was the reason why I did it, I understand. This is big time. We can't, we can't be missing calls where the QBs are now getting hurt following year, I wound up working the championship game, and the play that they showed as kind of the highlight reel of why the refs were selected was actually a rough in the past. That's what
0: (laughs) what you (laughs) called. That I called. (laughs) (laughs) Um, What is one of the best memories that you
1: have officiating in any sport? That's easy. Uh, Nebraska Class A 2002 Tackle Football Championship. Um, It was me and all of my friends, my flag football friends from Nebraska Campus Recreation. Our our white hat, his name was Zach, he was the intramural uh, coordinator at the time. Uh, the umpire and the two short wings, they were all former intramural supervisors and I was the former intramural GA. And for somehow, some way, the state of Nebraska thought that our flag football crew mm. should be working the highest level uh, table football game. And It was so much fun because we were so comfortable. It was friends. It was was family. We had done it before. And and going back to the point about nerves, because I was so comfortable in that environment, none of us – I mean, I can't speak for those other guys, but it never felt like any of us were nervous Mm -hmm. because we all knew we were there for each other, and we all knew each other so well that if something were to happen out of the ordinary – we would know how to handle it and how to help each other, but I will—I will never forget that game. That is, it's going—it's going to be tough for, for that not to be my favorite game of all time. And I've been fortunate. I've, I've worked, you know, I've worked a bowl game, I've worked a champ game, I've worked a national championship at the flag level, but, but to work a championship game with your friends mm-hmm. and with the crew, mm-hmm. yeah. I'll, I'll never forget that. You make me want to go active in football and
0: start getting uh, my middle school games to do varsity. <laughs> uh,
2: I want to talk a little bit about your game day routine. So let's say you're prepared for a uh, college football game. Mm-hmm. Talk us through your day. Well, I guess the day from the day before. Really. Yeah.
1: So, so for us, we fly in. Well, since I live in New York and all the games I usually work are across the country, I have to fly a lot of places. But uh, we get in the day before. Uh, typically we will have dinner as a crew and then we will have a, uh, a pregame meeting. Pregame meeting, depending on when in the year and what referee, it usually is no less than 60 minutes and usually no more than two hours. But somewhere in that range where we will review previous games, we'll look at clips, we'll do scouting reports on the teams, all that type of stuff. then on game day, a lot of times some of us will go out to eat breakfast together. And, again, it's, it's building the camaraderie and building the comfort because if you feel like you know somebody as a person, then when something happens on the field, you already have that bond, you have that connection. Uh, for me, it'll depend on what time the game is. If it's an early game, usually it's an early start. We're always there three hours before. And once we get into the locker room, to be honest – we've already done our prep. You know, at least for me, I'm already comfortable after the pregame, so I, I usually play Candy Crush and any, you know, we listen to some music, stuff that will then relax us because we've put in the work ahead of time, so now it's just getting our mind right. Uh, from there, uh, the referee and the umpire, they go meet with the coaches about uh, 90 to 100 or so minutes before the game, and then we have to be on the field an hour before um, to basically to make sure the teams don't fight. There was some <laughs> fight years ago. I think Florida State-Miami had a fight years ago, and now all the refs got to be out there an hour before. So rather than waste that hour, I try to see some snaps. Uh, based on my position as a center judge, I'll go look at the offensive linemen. I look at the left tackle. I try to see their feet, I try to see their technique. You know, Are they inside grabbing? Are they kind of going outside and anything that you can do to prepare yourself, I think you want to take that opportunity to do that. But I definitely have time to play Candy Crush because that is my... that is. Hey man, I'm on like level 3,000. Like yeah, I, I want
0: to know that when, you, when you're doing seeing the snaps and you're seeing the left tackle and the right tackle, are you like, is this guy better than Marshall Yander? Is he better than him? <laughs> I don't think
1: so. No, I mean, it, it's like, to be honest, I don't know like, me personally, I don't know a lot of the players. Like, they're... And it's all about whatever you want to do for your own prep. You know, a lot of, a lot of officials, they really want to study that stuff to really get them in tune. Uh, the way my approach is, I take more of an instinct-based approach. So I like to know a couple things when I can see what they're doing, but I also don't want to cloud my own judgment. Mm. You know, and, I, and me personally, I don't want to enter a game where now i'm thinking well this this left tackles led up 15 sacks already or has had 10 hold calls already let me watch for it i i i personally don't like watching for things i like to see things as they are presented so if if something looks out of the ordinary and then i think to myself whoa his feet got beat now it might get me to the point of potentially having a hold but uh, you know, that's where it kind of becomes individual of guys and girls do things kind of their own unique twist on it.
2: So you don't want to overload yourself so that, you know, it
1: makes a quality judgment. That makes sense. That's
2: the way my mind works, too. It's like I can only present the basic information, and after that point, I gotta let my instincts and gut and judgment take over.
1: Oh, yeah. And I'll, I'll tell you right now, during the games, I'm usually, I got the radio playing in my head. Like, when I'm out there, I might be not, like, like, you might be seeing me nod my head or something. The same and there's some, there's some song that yeah. I'm just playing in my head, and I'm going side to side. And it just, again, it helps me in a weird way by introducing music playing in my own head. it eliminates a lot of the negative, not negative. The displaced but, thoughts. Yeah. The yeah, yeah. Right? And because just, I don't, I don't want to work a game where I'm like, Okay, the snap's about to happen, the left tackle Okay, step, 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 okay This, I I can't do that I just have to be like, right. Oh, Mm. oh Oh, (laughs) flat You know, or something like that where It just more comes natural Mm. You know, but Then again, that's how my brain works And we all have our own Different methods, and some people They gotta be in the rule book all the time Because that's where they get their confidence from And then You know, to me, as long as whatever you can do to do your job the best to your ability, that's all I want.
2: When I come back to the 90% that you were talking about, you took care of that 90%, right? You can just watch now because the next 10% can come down to your judgment, but the mechanics, the real knowledge is all there. 90% of the work is done. So now you can kind of just relax and watch the game played.
1: Right. And and for the audience, you know, I don't want to make it seem like, oh, well, you know, you should just be playing the music and that's how you're going to get <laughs> okay. to D1. No, no, no. It, me, naturally, I am a, I'm a very decisive person naturally. Mm. You know, so because I'm very decisive naturally, I can see it, I can process it, I can make a decision and go right away with it. If you are not that type of person naturally, you're probably going to have to do something a little bit differently. You might have to anticipate mm. a little bit more and right. kind of work ahead Whereas some of us some of us can be reactive whereas others need to be proactive mm. in in their approach and and there's no right or wrong way it, it just is based on your own personality and your own kind of characteristics
0: one thousand percent so uh, we're wrapping up, man. this has been so good, like so good. Um, you have any final thoughts
1: I uh, just big picture, you know, please support flag football because <laughs> yeah. it is the future. And um, on on a, on a bigger picture note for the officiating side of things, uh, when you face a roadblock, when you feel like you haven't gotten that game, that assignment you want, that promotion that you want, whatever mm-hmm. the case is, don't take the easy way out and say, oh, politics that's that's the easy way out that's the cop out that's the excuse that's the blaming others and if you can actually take a hard look into yourself and say did I know that rule as well as I could have did I handle that play as well as I could have did I communicate as well as was I as professional as possible you know I was only five minutes late yeah You were late, you know, so that would that would be my big picture for for any young aspiring officials there. I'll leave you with this. Good officials get screwed all the time because there's a ton of good officials out there. The best ones never do, Mm -hmm. because no matter what. It is our assigners and the commissioners and all of that. Everybody has a boss and they want to put the best product on the field. So if, you know, it's the three of us in a room, if we are all B-level officials and there's only one assignment, two of us think we got screwed. But if two of you are B-level officials and the other one is an A-plus official, there's only one way that's going to go every single time. Mm. So, yeah, that that would be my my kind of big picture thinking. Just don't get caught up in the things you cannot control. Figure out what you can control and then improve from there.
0: Mm, That is really good. And normally I would say to a fellow Raven fan, play like a Raven. But in this case, I'm going to say, ref like a Raven. Appreciate it. We appreciate all the wisdom, all the thoughts. Thank you. This has been a lot of fun. Cool, man. For Ralph the Ref, my co-host Michael Grant, I'm with Jason Gant. This is The Rant. We're out of here. Peace.